0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Joyce, will you come on up and let's uh, listen. Yes. God has spoken to me in various different prayer meetings and things like that from this woman, so you want to be attentive and listen to what she has to say, because she is anointed. Here we go. We love you. Thank you. Yes, here you go.
1: You stand over there? I can stand over here, but you're going to have to move your Bible. Yeah, let me get my stuff. Out, right? Get your stuff. Out. There we go. Good morning. Sometimes in life the call the Lord calls us to do things that we're not particularly interested, not to say interested, but um, we're not particularly wanting to do. And several times, Pastor Tim has talked to us about sharing, and I thought, oh, you know, let someone else do it, someone that is younger, maybe more vibrant, whatever. But last week, the Lord said, it's your turn, and when he speaks... You don't argue. So I'm going to share with you just a little bit today. The Lord's word is powerful. His word is true and everlasting. In Psalm 104, verses 17 and 18, it says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to such as keep his commandments, and to those who remember his commandments, to do them. We have to do more than just hear them, talk about them. We have to do them. As we studied the book of 1 Thessalonians, it stirred up my spirit to become more active in my witness. Most of my life, I would say all my life, uh, I've had many opportunities to share the Lord, and it's been my privilege and my honor to do so. But as I studied with Pastor Tim and with you the the book of 1 Thessalonians, um, I was reminded Paul and Timothy were examples of uh, the need to increase and abound in my love for others. This was their message to us today. The message of, of God's word is never old fashioned. It's never out of date. It's important to each one of us. And so, as we've studied and I've prayed about this and reread and, and uh, let the Lord speak to me, um, I realized that, like Paul and Timothy, the love should increase and abound for others. And so should I do in my time, just like they did in theirs. I heard the story of the baby Jesus, the precious gift of the Heavenly Father, when I wasn't quite three and a half years old. I was sort of a precocious kid, you know, even then. So. this wonderful little lady, my Sunday school teacher, introduced me to uh, a wonderful person by the name of Jesus. And uh, she imparted his love to me, even at that very young age. And when I was eight, the Lord still had his hand on me. And uh, he brought into my life a wonderful lady named Esther Currier. She ministered to me on a playground. You see, God can work any place at any time. Ministered to me on a playground in inner city, um, St. Louis. She introduced me to her very best friend, Jesus Christ. And he became my Lord and Savior. She shared his love with me, and she was an example of holiness as she lived her life in Christ i have sort of given you a little bit of a, a build up here at 14 the Lord spoke to my heart in such a tender and loving way that my response was to pray this Lord let me never get too far from you that I can't hear your voice or feel your touch on my life and I tell you this morning at 81 years of age the Lord continues to be my faithful friend and guide I share this with you this morning because I feel that God has used wonderful, caring people who were obedient to his command to love others, and they love me into the kingdom as I, in turn, should continue to lovingly share Christ's love with others. This was brought out to us very clearly in 1 Thessalonians. It encourages me to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks. It gives me hope and reminds me that he who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God's word helps me understand his plan for his people, which I am one. In my life, there have been times of quiet reflection, times that have been challenging and still are. There's been times of stubbornness and rebellion. There's been times of joy and peace. But through it all, I've had the presence of the Holy Spirit to give me the guidance that I needed. I have failed the Lord many times. I don't want you to think for one minute that this old gray-haired lady standing before you has led a perfect life and has never done anything wrong. That's not true. There's been times when I know that Jesus has shed some tears over me. But he's loved me dearly all these years, and he's taken care of me. I praise him because he's always loved me, and he's never forsaken me. I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, that God reminds us the day of the Lord is near. We need to be about his business. I challenge you this morning as we've studied this book of First Thessalonians to love others. Where would I be if someone hadn't reached out as a little child, as a young girl, as a teenager, and loved me, continuing to uh, to give of their time and energy to share God's love with me. The Lord challenges each one of us today. There's somebody around you that maybe needs a A kind word or a smile, maybe uh, an invitation to church. The opportunities are there for us to follow Jesus. Let us love each other. Let us build up the church, as it says in 1 Thessalonians, walk properly. Let us walk properly toward those who are outside. Let's be an example. Those women over the years were wonderful examples to me, and I praise him for that. Let us be sensitive to God's word and sensitive to the working of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives, that we may be found faithful in what he's called us to do. long time ago, I learned a little course. I'm not going to sing for you today. My singing voice is long gone. But it says, after all he's done for me, After all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best after all he's done for me? I praise him this morning because he continues to love me, he continues to bless me, he continues to make a way in my life. I love you this morning. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord uses each one of us to to make a difference in those around about us. Let's not give up on that. Let's be faithful to what he's called us to do. Thank you for letting me share. Lord bless you.
0: Thank you so much. Well, we can go home now. Man, that was great. Thank you so much. That's what it's all about, is sharing, you know, what God has put on your heart. And and listen, like I said last week, um, some of you guys have some serious truths that God has just put in your heart and... We want to hear them. You know, they're, sometimes they're just for you, and that's cool. But oftentimes they're for other people. And so I just want to encourage you, man. Be people that share what God is doing. You know, uh, it, it's a wonderful story, the story that he's working out in your life. And other people uh, will be blessed by it. Amen? Hey, why don't we stand up, welcome somebody around you, and uh, we'll get right back into our... Make sure you get one. If you have a Bible... Open up with me to Haggai chapter 1 this morning. Haggai chapter 1. And uh, if you find, if you're like, where's Haggai? It's in the uh, uh, Old Testament. It's the third to the last book of the Old Testament. If you find Matthew and go back three books, you'll land on, in the book of Haggai. It's a very, very small book. It's only two chapters. And, uh, and so Haggai chapter 1. And we're going to take a short detour from, we were going to go into Second Thessalonians and just continue on uh, talking about, uh, you know, the end times prophecy and those kind of things. But we'll get back to that in about maybe three or four weeks. Um, I felt like the Lord was calling us to go a, a different direction here because of the fact that we are um, cyclical people. And uh, not sick people, some of you, you are, but that's a whole different story. But cyclical people... Meaning, we're, we we kind of operate on a calendar. We operate in a schedule, and so this is the way that we do it. And because it's the first of the year, there are there. It's it's kind of like a reset for us for some reason. We we think like, oh man, it's the first of the year. Not only this, but it's so big that this is the first of the the new decade. And so we're we're really trying to you know set our set our path for you know the the uh, the future to come and all and uh... it's the way that we think but the reality is is that that that's really not the way God works God works uh... you know his mercies are new every day you don't have to wait till monday you don't have to wait till a new year to reprioritize your life and to really get back on track and that's the beauty of god is that he uh... gives us a million chances and he he's working in our lives on a daily basis and he is a second by second Moment by moment, hour by hour, our God, he is in our lives and he is working. And so I'm thankful that we can make a change even now, even right now. And uh, so that's why I believe that the Lord is calling us to go to this book, uh, the book of Haggai. It's, uh, he is a minor prophet, but he delivers a major message. And that message is First Things First. That is the, the title of the series of our, as we'll go through verse by verse here in the book of Haggai, First Things First. So for the next four weeks, we'll be journeying through this book and uh, considering how we are to reprioritize repri- our lives relating to what God says. Not relating to what we want to do, but relating to what God says. What is God saying in our lives? He, if, if he has a plan, anybody believe that God has a plan for your life? So if he has a plan for your life, then does he get the right to tell you whether you're on that plan or not on that plan and whether you're, you're mapping out the way, the direction that he wants to, to, to take you, he, he does because he's got the plan. And so that's what we're going to do is for the next three or four weeks, we're going to be seeking God and saying, God, am I on the plan? Am I on your plan or am I on my plan? I want to be on your plan. What we're going to find out as the children of Israel as they were coming back Um, from being in captive because they were not on God's plan. Uh, For 70 years, they were in captivity because they were doing it their own way. The Lord brings them back into Jerusalem to to restore and rebuild Jerusalem where God is going to rebuild his people. And Haggai's prophecy happens, uh, we'll, we'll look at the timing here in a moment, but it it happens, they're not very far off from the time that they came out of exile and they're already off track. They're already off track and God says, hold on a second, I have to speak into this because I I love you and I I won't, I'm I'm gonna not allow you to just continue to live your own way. I want to redirect your life and I wanna put you on the path that is going to be the best path for you. You're not creating your best life here. He's creating your best life, and all we have to do is listen. All we have to do is be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and we will live out the best life that that God has for us. And I promise you, his life for you, although it may not look like, you know, to you what you want it to look like, it will become the best for you. And you will see that if you will yield yourself to him. So anybody on board with doing that? Like, I want God's best in my life? I don't necessarily only half of you. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. We're all on the same page here. So we all want God's best. I know that to be true. And so stand with me. And let's, let's see how God worked in these people's lives. And let's see how God will use this uh, prophecy to work in our lives. Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, You have sown much, and harvest as little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for for much, and behold, it, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast, and on all their labors. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we ask, Lord, that you would use these words in our lives this morning. Lord, some of us are on on track, and we're doing well, and we're we're walking and and right in the middle of your will. And Lord, I pray that you would help those that are in in that place, Lord, help them to see that and help them to continue to do what they're doing. But Lord, for some of us here this morning, we, we need to hear this word desperately because we are off track and we are not prospering in our lives spiritually and, and, and we're wondering why is this, even to the point where perhaps we're even doubting, is this real? And so we need you to reveal yourself to us, Lord. You know each heart here intimately. You know everything about us. Lord, we ask you right now, speak to us, Lord. Help us to hear, and then help us to do what it is that you tell us to do today. Lord, remove the scales from our eyes. Open the ears that they may hear now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So I don't know if you noticed in the text there twice It says, consider your ways in verse 7 there, verse 5 at the end, consider your ways. Twice, the Lord says to, through Haggai, to the leaders of the people of Israel, also to the people of Israel, consider your ways. It's a contemplative exhortation. It's beckoning us to examine our hearts and consider what direction we're going and to decide today whether or not we want to continue on that path. The Hebrew figure of speech here for consider your ways is literally put your heart on the roads. Put your heart on the roads. God is asking, so Rebbebel, Joshua, he's asking the children of Israel to take a moment and consciously choose the direction that they want to move forward in spiritually. Consciously choose. The Spirit of God is at work in their lives, and and God has given them all that they need for life and godliness. Although the Spirit is not living within them, the Spirit is still working amongst them, and they have the Word of God. So they know what they need to do. The question is, will they open up their hearts enough and allow God to speak in through His Word, through His Spirit, you know, through the leaders of Israel? And will they... Will they heed his warning and his direction? That's the question. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. That's what he's asking them to, to, to really consider what he's saying here. I think it's incredibly gracious of God to take a moment and just say to us, will you consider your ways? He doesn't have to do that, you know. Like, he's given us everything we need. He, Like, like oftentimes, we get irritated with people, uh, particularly if you're a parent or if you're, um, you know, a teacher or something, and you have to repetitively say the same thing over and over and over again. You can grow weary in that, and you can start to say, I've already told you. I'm not going to tell you again. Anybody ever done that, parents? <laughs> Nobody raised their hand. Everybody laughs. I got that. I would say, yeah, you have. So good. So we're on the same page. But the reality is is that that's not God. How incredibly gracious God is that he would literally ask you time and time and time again, consider your ways. Are Are you reading my word? Are you in my word? Are you not just reading it? Are you doing it? Are you working it out? The Holy Spirit is our companion. He's our helper. He's in our lives. He's working in our lives because God loves you. And, and he doesn't want you to, you know, abandon the best path that he has for you for some trivial thing in this world that will end up to become misery for you. Even if it's bliss for a period of time on earth. Listen, you'll live with regrets in all of eternity. I don't think you literally will have regrets, but, but, li- but, but thinking about it in that way, what you will be missing in eternity because you chose to live your your way on earth. You see, this isn't about salvation here, what we're talking about in this this passage. This is about, for us, in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, this is about sanctification. This is about us constantly changing to become more like Jesus. You You know, Jesus, it was his joy to do the Father's will. In fact, I think that's why Jesus got away often and got on his knees before God. And he said, Lord, am I on the right path? He, he, he was God in the flesh, yes. But he humbled himself and became, uh, you know, just like you and I, limiting himself to the same power that you and I have, which is the Holy Spirit, which is far more powerful than we really give him credit for. But he also sought the Father Always. And in fact, you remember in the darkest moments of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus came to the Father and he's he's asking him, is this your will for me? And he understands between he he and the Father that that, that the cross is his will. And so he says, not my will, but your will be done. And he courageously walked the Via Della Rosa up to Golgotha and he gave up his life for us. That's what this is talking about. This is talking about getting, getting in, in partnership with God so that he can use you to the, to the best ability so that you can yield him the most glory in your life. That's, that's what this is talking about. He wants to use you, man. He wants to be glorified through you. And if we're not, if we don't sink up to him, and consider our ways as this says here we will never ever experience the best that he has for us so that's what he wants for these people here he wants he wants what's best for them and so God repeats himself over and over and over again and I'm thankful for that because unfortunately I need that in my life we're gonna begin by considering the timing of the word of the Lord. Then we're going to consider the tale being told, the trajectory of the lifestyle being lived, and finally, the truth regarding a lack of prosperity in life. We're going to consider first the timing of the word of the Lord, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, listen, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, And also Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Here we find the timing of the word of the Lord spoken through the prophet Haggai. It was the second year of Darius, king of Persia, on the first day of the month. This would date this prophecy sometime around August or early September. Listen, 520 B.C., 520 B.C. Now just rewind your brain back to 520 B.C. and we'll all be there, right? So that's 2,538 years ago, approximately. 2,538 years ago, God spoke these words. He spoke these words to uh, Zerubbabel and to Joshua. And, and, And here's the thing that's a long time ago. But like Joyce said earlier, God's word is timely, it never goes out of date, it is not old fashioned. What God is saying here is good for today, just as it was 2,538 years ago. It is the same. It is a powerful message that he gives to these people. It was a period of time where Israel was in captivity, coming out of captivity um, from Babylon. Uh, How many captivities do we read about in the Old Testament? We read about two captivities, right? We read about the Egyptian captivity, which is really up to the point of Moses, where he leads the people victoriously out of Egypt after 430 years because of a promise that he gave to Abraham. God is faithful to his promise. Secondly, the, the God gives a prophecy through, through Jeremiah the prophet sometime around, you know, just qu- quite a bit prior to this moment, and he says, you will be carried off for 70 years. Daniel, who happens to be in this captivity moment where he gets taken away f- into the Babylonian captivity, is reading Jeremiah and comes to the point where he understands through God's word that it's 70 years. Okay, so, so what I'm telling you is that God's word has answers for you. Like the timing is impeccable with the Lord. And in fact, it is this prophecy... Uh, particularly as it relates to uh, the children of Israel rebuilding and restoring the temple of God that Daniel wrote about in Daniel chapter 9 in his 70-week prophecy. And in fact, it's the command to go and restore and rebuild that that prophecy starts with, and you fast forward to it 62 weeks, 62 uh, seven-year periods And that will lead you to a moment where he says the Messiah will be cut off. The the, the prince will come, and then in one week he'll be cut off. And so you see this this idea of prophecy being relevant in our lives. And God speaks through it, and he tells us. What I'm telling you is that he can speak to you today because this is prophetic. This is prophetic for you and I. God knew you would be here today today. Uh, you know, and he wants to, to you to hear what he would have to say. Now, this prophecy that Haggai is bringing about, um, it sort of began to stir up 18 years prior to this. The king Cyrus was a man who in 538 BC was the uh, king of Persia who had, they had taken uh, the Babylonians, they had overtaken the Babylonians. So Persia now is is um, in, in control of really the known world. They are the, the dictators of the world. And, uh, um, I, and and so God starts to stir King Cyrus's heart in 538 BC. And this is what he said to him. This is what King Cyrus repeats the Lord telling him to do in Ezra chapter one verses one, uh, two through four. It says, "Thus says king Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He understands who's in control here, which is interesting. The the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, And rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Cyrus, God spoke through Cyrus, stirred up his heart, perhaps through Daniel. We don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Daniel was alive during this time, so maybe Daniel's telling him, hey, God, the God of Israel is going to release the people in 70 years, and God works through Daniel. Maybe, we don't know. But here's what we know is God is working in his life, and so he sends 50,000 Jews out of Babylon back to Jerusalem to, listen, to restore and rebuild the temple of God. To restore and rebuild the temple of God. He had a very specific task from God. And so he takes action. And he says, hey, rise up. And whoever, whoever wants to go back, go back. Sadly, only 50,000 people went back. That, that is an indictment on God's people. Many of them found comfort and peace in Babylon during this time. And so they, they resided there in Babylon. They Didn't want to go back. Who wants to go and rebuild it? In fact... Zechariah, who is a guy who's writing in the same time period, he records Zerubbabel's kind of emotional state when he walks into Jerusalem and he sees the temple in, in, in a pile of rubble and he says, man, how are we going to do this? You remember the famous words from Zechariah the prophet, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. 50,000 people go back. They begin to rebuild the temple through the leadership of Zerubbabel, or or through the leadership of Zerubbabel, who is is a descendant of King David. He's also the grandson of Jehoiachin, uh, who was the last king of Judah. He belongs on the throne, but because Persia is the world leader, he's placed as governor over Judah at the time, but he is the rightful person to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. And then we have Joshua who is also the Hebrew word Yahshua. That that equivalent out, you can equal that to Jesus. It's the same word, Joshua, Jesus, same. Joshua is the high priest at the time. So through the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua, they they start to rebuild. And so they're three or so years into this, and um, and, and all of a sudden we're going to see that they just, they stop. They stop rebuilding. They stop doing this. 17 years later, Haggai shows up and says, I got a word for you. So, this sets the timing of this. You understand the historical content of what's going on. Some of you guys are like, man, can he? We're, we're done with the history of that. But it's important you understand the history of this because this wasn't just something that came out of the blue. Like, this is something that God had been doing and working and orchestrating. And I want you to understand that because he's doing that in your life. Like you're sitting here going, God, what are you doing? And he's orchestrating and working out this plan that you can't see. And so what that tells us is if he was doing that here, he's doing that now and he's doing that in my life. So I can trust him right now and I can rest in his grace and I can wait on his instructions. And so that's, here's what, here's what happens though. These people, they come out of Babylon, they get back into their place, and then they start to grow comfortable. They start to grow content, and there's a specific reason why. There is a tale that they begin to tell regarding the rebuilding of the temple. Look at verse 2. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? It's like God is being sarcastic to them and he's saying, dude, seriously, that, that's how we would say it now, like, dude, seriously, you don't think you're supposed to be building the temple right now? Like, now's not the right time? Are you kidding me? That's essentially what he's saying. Anytime you encounter the words, thus says the Lord, you need to take note you need to—your ears need to perk up. Your heart needs to be open because this is God's direct words. Be wary of people who say that, by the way. Hey, thus says the Lord, and then they tell you what, what God wants you to do in your life, and you're like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. Um, I'm pretty sure God will tell you what he wants you to do if he wants you to do something. So w- be very weary of, wary of people that say, thus says the Lord. But in this particular time frame, this is how God was working in these people. And so they, they, when somebody came, the prophet came, He had he, he, when he was speaking, he was speaking on behalf of God. And so he says, thus says the Lord. The word of God is being written during these time frames. Here's what God says. These people. It's these people say the time has not yet come. Who is these people? These people are all the exiles from Babylon, these 50,000 people, including Zerubbabel and Joshua. They're all saying it. They're all saying, oh, it's just not time yet. Really? Because 18 years ago, when God was talking to King Cyrus in Babylon, he said it was time. So who's, who's speaking here? It's the people that are that have gone beyond God's word And because they know God, they can't change the timing of what God said. uh, Because they can't say, I'm sorry, they can't can't change the content of what God said. They'll change the timing of it. Oh, it's just not time yet. And some of us are great at that. God speaks into our life and we say, oh, he wants me to do this, but it's just not time. I'm praying about it. I'm praying about what he wants me to do. There's nothing wrong with that. Pray. Ask the Lord. But don't use that as an excuse. I know that God's told me to do this, but it's just not time. You know, when I when I came to plant the church in Columbia, we I was, I was kind of going back and forth between Florida and um, and here, and there was a transition time. It took me about six months to to get moved up here and and totally where I wasn't traveling back and forth. And then it took me a good year to kind of get solidified and get my feet in the ground and and all of that. And and so. God told me before we even moved here to plant a church, right? So I already had that directive from God. But the timing of it was, you know, once I got here, I got settled in, and I got, I got on the track, but it never left the, my mind, and there was a time frame for it. The same thing with the children of Israel. When they came out of Babylon, they didn't start rebuilding immediately. It took them a couple years to get there and get set up, and then they started to rebuild, Nothing wrong with that, but here's what happens is people utilize this as an excuse to not do it. Yeah, God said, I'll do that later. Like God said this, but not right now, it's for later. Are you sure? That's the question, are you sure? I was sure when I came here that I was to plant a church, and I was sure that I needed to do it in this particular time frame that I did it. And 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 the reality is is we don't want to give ourselves excuses. So he tells them these people are saying the time has not yet come. And yet God says that the time has come. Now, why in the world are they not listening to God? Why are they doing their own thing here? For one particular reason, and it's because of the fear of man. It's the fear of man the Bible says is a snare. It will stop you cold in your tracks if you fear people on the horizontal more than, you, more than you fear God. Here's what happened. Ezra chapter 4 verse 4. It said, Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of King Osiris king of Persia even until the reign of Darius king of Persia. And so, all the days of Cyrus, these people, the adversaries of Israel who happened to be, uh, this, is where we, this is where we get the, the people group, the Samaritans. Anybody ever heard about the Samaritans? They're in the Bible, they're New Testament, and the Jews hate the Samaritans. This is where they come from. They come from uh, Jews who were left in the, um, in the area of Judah and Israel and all after the captivity. And they intermarried with other races, and they became mixed people. And so they were half Jew, and they were half Gentile. And because God said, don't do that, Israel, they were kind of outcast from being involved in the full um, you know, worship of God through the temple and all, because they, were, they had disobeyed the Lord. And, and because God wants his people to be pure... There's a time where we have to cut ourselves off from certain people that will sway us to go the wrong way. It wasn't that these people didn't worship the God of Israel, but they also worshiped other gods. That was the problem. And in fact, Jesus, if you recall, he addresses a woman at the well who is a Samaritan. And listen to what he says in John chapter 4, verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. What he's saying is that they have a tainted worship of God. They have a tainted worship of God and, and that's why we also have to be careful about who we're hanging out with and who we're you know rubbing elbows with and all because if they have a tainted worship of God, that will rub off on you and these guys know that. And so when they came to, to, to Zerubbabel and Joshua and they said, hey, we want to help you guys build the temple, we worship the same God. What happened was uh Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all of the people said, no way. Not because they were mixed race. Don't, don't misunderstand that. More so because they were mixed spiritually. And he, they understood that. They, they just came out of captivity for being mixed spiritually, man. They don't want to go back into captivity, so they say, no way. We're not going to allow you to do that. And so these Samaritan people made it very difficult for these Jews to continue to press on and to um, build the temple. Now, that sounds awfully familiar to me, particularly in this day and age that we live, because I think there are people in our culture that are trying to make it incredibly difficult for you and I to share our faith, for you and I to live out our faith freely um, without being ridiculed, without saying that what we say is hate speech or what we do is, is, you know, ridicule certain people. You know, at the end of the day, uh, that is happening now. And so you can see the correlation. The, here's the question. Will you do what they did and pull back? Or will you press on and will you say, no, I'm going to fear God more than I fear man? If they would have feared God more than they feared man, they would have built the temple, and this, this whole story would have not have been written. You know that? This, the, 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 the prophecy of Haggai would not have been necessary but because they were disobedient and because they were unfaithful in this moment, God is faithful and he, he, he will be, remain faithful and his temple will be built. So he's going to build it and he, he, he says, I'm going to give you guys another opportunity, man. I'm coming back to you 18 years later now and I'm going to tell you, no, it is time. It is time to build it. It, or is it just time for you guys to live in luxury? That, that's his question here in verses um, 3 and 4 here. He's saying, is it time for you to live in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? The idea here of paneled houses is four walls where they have, you know, like paneling on the inside of the houses. That was a luxury in this, in this time frame because wood was scarce, and so people that had, like, you know, I think pretty much the 70s got the inspiration here from this, this scripture paneling, you know. Anybody grow up with paneling? I mean, who had carpet on their, on their uh, ceilings and stuff in their walls? Dude, you ever been to Elvis' house over there? Go check it out. That was luxury back in that day, man, for real. For real, man. He had carpet, wall, the wall-to-wall, ceilings, everything, man. It's like, dude, how do you vacuum that? I don't know. But um, there was, you know, they were living in luxury, That's what he's saying. While my house lies in ruins. Isn't it interesting that when Solomon built the temple, that he built God's temple first and then his house? Not his house and then God's temple. Here's the reality is this is an issue of priority. Who comes first, you or God? That's really the question he's asking here. And we know the answer, and they know the answer. The reality is, is that they came first. They came first. Yes, the enemy used the fear of man to deter them. For, you know, three years into their build, they, they stopped building. But now, it's been another 17 years or so, and they're still in the same place. Here's what I'm telling you. Fear will lead you to a place of Uh, complacency in your life. Fear will lead you to a place of complacency in your life. you will be afraid, you'll stop doing what God is asking you to do because you're afraid, and then you'll end up becoming comfortable with that, and you'll start lying to yourself and telling yourself, oh, it's just not time. It's just not time for me to do that yet, Lord, and that is a lie. It is time. You know, here's the reality is that fear is not sin in and of itself, Fear is not sin in, in and of itself. We all deal, deal with fear. We all have different kinds of fear that we, we encounter in our lives. When fear becomes sin is when it stops us from doing what God wants us to do, when it starts to control us and it starts to dictate our course. Like when God tells you, I want you to go tell this person something. And you, you say, oh, I, I can't do that. That's kind of a hard word, Lord. I, I don't think I'm the right guy for that. You're mm-hmm. in sin. Because you're disobeying God. You're choosing to love yourself more than you love God in this moment. And you're saying, I don't care what you want me to do, I'm gonna do what I think is best for me. Hashtag not good advice. Don't take that advice from yourself. That's what these people are doing. And God addresses it. He says, Man, you guys, you guys have a priority problem. You're not making me first. You know, you, you guys are making yourselves first. You know, it's funny because issue. you know, nobody would blame them, right? I mean, they're coming out of Babylon and they're like supposed to be getting their lives back in order and all of that. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, well, you know, it's going to take a few few years for you to get your life back in order or whatever, but that's fine. You know, God was gracious and he allowed that. But when it's 17, 18 years later, I mean, that, that's where the problem lies. Jesus said the exact same thing. That God is saying here about priorities in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the exact same thing about caring for yourself. Here's what he said Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 32, 33 Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? These are normal. Um, daily things that we all have to ask ourselves, how am I going to pay for that? How am I going to get this or whatever? Listen to what he says. Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows what you need and he's going to give you exactly what you need. He knows what these people need in this moment. He's given them exactly what they need, but they want more. And maybe you want more. Here's what Jesus says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And all these things, all what things? What I will eat, what I will drink, what I will wear. All of these things will be added to you. What is he saying? Make make God your priority and all your worries will be taken care of. That doesn't mean that you won't be wondering at times like... (laughs) I'm not sure how this is going to work, but God is faithful, and that's what we trust. We don't trust our brains in terms of how we think God is going to work this out. That will stop you from moving forward. You trust God in the moment. If If he's told you don't worry about these things, then don't worry about these things, you put God as your priority and watch him give himself. I, I watched a, per, a, cu- a couple live this out in their lives in a very, very real way. So they really felt like, I mean, he was kind of sick, she was kind of sick, and they really felt like they had three little girls, and they came to church here for a long time. They, they don't live here anymore, but they uh, they they lived their lives as minimalistic as possible. Like, literally, he worked as as minimal as he had to, to take care of their, their, their... And it wasn't that he was lazy. Their philosophy of life was totally outside the box of what every, most everybody else in this world lives like. They believed that their, their whole purpose in life was to live for the Lord, to love on their family, and to be example to those around them. And so they gave their lives up to do that. They didn't seek after silver and gold... What they did was they lived their lives minimal as possible in terms of what they had to do to get by, and then they, 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 they had tons of time to spend in ministry, to love on people, and, and all of that kind of stuff. Now, um, for most of us, we're like, yeah, I'm not doing that, and I'm sure it's incredibly stressful at times, but there's a lesson in what, and maybe God doesn't necessarily call everybody to, to live to that degree of minimalization, but I think there's a principle in it, and the question is, what are you chasing? What are you really living for? I mean, is God really the priority? If he tells you to live like that, will you? I mean, if you don't have a 401k to hold on to, or you don't have security, a security blanket of some type, are you willing to to do what he tells you to do? Jesus says you should, because you should seek him first, He should be the priority, whatever he says. And so we got to keep God the priority. And and in our culture, in our world, you know, uh, really the priority system is messed up. So in God's economy, priority should look like this. God, your relationship with God is number one. If you're married, your relationship with your spouse is number two. If you have children, your relationship with your children is not number two, it's number three. Below your wife and your spouse. They are an adjunct to your family. Number four, I would put equally in the same slot, church and work. Church and work. They should be equal. You should not pursue way more time at work and and have, you know, and work is a ministry, by the way. You know, you don't have to be inside the church and worshiping God here. You can do it anywhere but what I'm saying is that, that priority-wise, that should have the same equal, you know, it should have it's the same value. Here's what really our lives look like if we're honest. So we have our job in number one. We've got uh, maybe a spouse, perhaps, probably more so children in number two. Then maybe your spouse. Uh, then maybe church. And then God. That's typically what I would say Uh, You know, um, people that are off track, that's what their priorities look like. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. And if you can't serve God and serve mammon, which is money, you can't serve two masters. So you have to decide who is going to have that number one slot. And whoever has that number number one slot is going to determine everything else in your life. It will determine every step that you take moving forward. Who has the number one position in your life? Is it the Lord? He's saying he deserves it and he should get it. Not not because he's egotistical, but because he loves you and he knows what's best for you. That's why. And he's telling these people, you guys value yourselves. You value your comfort, your ease, your pleasure over me. And, and, and I'm going to address it and, and he's being pretty subtle about it by the way, comparably speaking to what he's in the past. He goes on here and he says, let me let me explain to you what the trajectory of this lifestyle looks like. He goes on now, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. you've sown much and harvested little, you eat but you have uh, you you, ha- you never have enough, you drink but you never have your fill, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm And he who earns wages, does so to put them in bags with holes. So the Lord says, if you live this way, you will live in a constant state of chasing that which will never bring satisfaction. That's what he's saying. You, you eat and you're never full. You know, you, 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 have, you go out and you, you work hard, you sow, but you bring hardly anything in. You know, you, you, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you're never, ever, your, your thirst is never quenched. You're, you have clothes, but yet you can never get warm enough. You can never be satisfied, what God is saying, through these things. The trajectory of the lifestyle that pursues self over God produces misery. That's what he's saying. It will produce misery. You will never find satisfaction from this well, folks, there's not a single well in the world that you can drink from that will bring satisfaction to your thirst. The only well that you can drink from is Jesus. That is the only well that you can drink from to to bring true satisfaction. Jesus, again, referring back to the woman at the well. He said, you know, you, you give people a drink and they thirst again, but I'll give you a drink and you will never thirst again. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming to a person's life at, after they believe in God and they make him the Lord of their life. He has a well that will never run dry and it'll always bring satisfaction in your life. Nothing the world has to offer can do that. And here's, here's the reality. Some of you are saying, yeah, but I have so little that if God would just give me a little bit more, then, then I could get that and I would be okay with that. No, you won't listen to me very carefully if you're not being faithful where you are right now you will not be faithful if you have more if god you're saying god if you just give me a, a million dollars then i could really give to your church and i could you know really do a whole bunch of things in my life and i could bl-. no you listen the more you get the more greedy you'll become i promise you you know just just watch testimonies of people who have won the lottery and watch how it's ruined their lives it's ruined their lives. If you're not faithful with what you have right now, you will not be faithful with more. Because more brings more worry, it brings more protection, it brings more burden, it just does. So don't think for a moment, don't lie to yourself and tell, you, tell yourself that. If you live in this manner and you're, you're putting yourself first and you're seeking after these things, you will never be satisfied and you will be miserable. And maybe some of you are here today and you're thinking, man, I don't understand why I work really hard and I can never really seem to get ahead. Or, you know, I have, I have all these things, yet it still seems like it's not enough. That's because you're, you're, you're putting something else in the position that only God belongs in. And it can be your spouse. It can be your children. It can be a relationship. Listen, your, your spouse makes a terrible God. Your children make terrible gods. You know, your job makes a terrible God. Your bank account makes a terrible God. The only one that can do that right is God Himself. And that's why He, he deserves that position. He said, let's consider why you lack prosperity. Verse 9, you look for, for much, and behold, it, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the Heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land of the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on the ground uh, brings and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Who's doing this? Who's withholding the, the prosperity that they're seeking? God is. Deuteronomy chapter 11, God told them if they sought after any other God that he would withhold from the ground, from the sky, and maybe that's what's going on in your life. You've been seeking after something that that is going to only produce misery in your life, and God God is trying to squeeze you to help you to understand that that's not the path for you. It's not work harder to get more. It's, it's really ultimately putting God in the right place and being content with what he gives you. Right? He cares for you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. You think for a moment he's going to just, you know, have you, get you in a position where you're trusting in him and then, and then he's going to drop the ball? No. Not going to happen. God will be faithful to you. But what he requires is your obedience. That's what he requires. He will not, he's not a God like us who blesses our children and makes them little spoiled brats. You know, when you just keep blessing them and blessing them and blessing them. Even though they're, they're totally off track, you think, I'm going to be a good parent. I'm going to buy them the iPhone 11S or X or whatever it is. And I'm going to buy them this or that. That's a terrible way to parent. And I can tell you, I've fallen into that category. At times where I, I, I'm buying my kids things, and it's not you buy them because they deserve it. Don't misunderstand. But here's the thing is you don't build a relationship with your kids through what you give them. That, that's not a relationship. You know, God builds his relationship with you through love, and that's and sometimes love doesn't give you what you want. Sometimes love withholds, and that's what God is saying. I love you so much that I'm going to withhold from you, these things to point you to me, and that's his point, they all know where this stuff is coming from, man, they, are, they understand that, that uh, the, the reality of the harvest, and, and their, their prosperity, and all of that, they understand the source, they understand it's God, and God is taking full responsibility, saying, I'm the one doing it, because you're not doing what you're supposed to do, And what I found in my life is even in those moments when I'm not doing what God tells me to do, he's still incredibly gracious to me. He still shows his love towards me. It's not like he cuts me off, but he lovingly chastises me, disciplines me because he loves me, and that's what love does. Why aren't you prospering? Because God is withholding because somebody else has a first position. David said in Psalm 16, verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Listen, if you keep putting somebody else in that position, your sorrows will continue to multiply. It's in the word of God. These people were probably wondering, why in the world am I experiencing this? For 18 years, they knew what the, the... the dictate was from God to build, rebuild the temple and all of that. And yet they walked by it every day. They walked by the source of their fruitlessness every day, wondering why they, they haven't really ultimately come to that place where they're prospering. That's, that's completely and totally being blind, folks, to your circumstances. And maybe some of us today need to say, Lord... Am I blindly walking by the source of my fruitlessness in my life every day and I can't see it? Will you open my eyes today? Will you help me to see why? He's faithful, man. He wants you to know why. He wants you to see why. What does he do? He tells them how to be fruitful. This is God. This is who God is. You're being unfruitful. Here's the reason why. But here's how you become fruitful. And God will always give you the the way to get right with him. He'll always bring reconciliation into the picture. Look what he says, verse 8. Go up to the hills, bring the wood, build the house that I may pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. God is calling here for the listeners, for those who are hearing this, to consider their ways and get back to first things first. He doesn't want the scraps of our lives, man. He wants the first and the best of our life. He wants the the best that we have to offer. And so what does he say? He says, get back to doing what I told you to do in the first place. Go get the wood, go to the hills, get the wood and start building a house. Be, Be obedient to the word of God. You know, it's real simple. He tells us what to do, we just do it. We may not understand it, but we do it. You know, and, 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 and ultimately, if we don't do that, we'll be robbing ourselves. And who's to blame for that, by the way? Is God to blame for that? Is he like, oh, well, God's being unfaithful. No, you're being unfaithful. God is always faithful. So if you're, if you're, if you're blaming God today for what you don't have, maybe you should take a step back and just say, God, it's me. I take responsibility. It's always me. I take responsibility today. Help me to see what it is. And he'll show you. He'll give you the way. He'll show you how to be fruitful in your life. But then guess what? It's up to you to do it. These guys could never, ever get into that place. These guys could never get back to that place of prospering in the Lord until they were obedient to his steps. They had to get up and physically go to the hills and bring the wood down and start doing the work. And when they did, they were blessed. And so that's God's call for us. Consider your ways. Look at your life. Ask yourself today, is God really first in my life? The worship team's gonna come up, and as we close today, I just want you to to, to really consider what God is saying through Haggai this morning, because it is directly to us this morning as well. Here's what I want you to hear is that God said, here's the path to, recon- to, to reconciliation and restoration, and it's obedience to me. You just come to me. You come to me, and, and, and you do what I tell you to do. And then notice what he says here. That I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified through it. Here's what you need to understand today, is that when you're obedient to God, he, he is just in bliss. Like, he is so blessed that you're doing what he's calling you to do. Not because he needs you to do that, but because that's what's best for you. That's where we miss it. It's not a workspace thing where we, where we get a better relationship with God because we're being obedient to him. No, here's the reality is that our lives become better. And that's what he wants you to understand this morning is that, by being obedient to God, you will end up becoming the best version of yourself that you could ever be. And that's what he wants for you. And he wants to take pleasure in watching you prosper. And he wants to take pleasure in watching you shine and become the version of yourself that he himself sees as you being right now. That's what he wants for you. That he might take pleasure and that he might be glorified. You will never shine as bright as you can shine until you're obedient to God, until you're doing what he said, until you are walking out these things in our lives. If you put him first in your life, you will become the version that will bring the most glory to him. Isn't that what we want? Lord, I want my life to be poured out before you. I want to be an offering before you. I want my life to yield glory to you because you are deserving of that. And so, you know, as we close today, I want you to consider... What is the Spirit saying to me this morning? Consider your ways. Maybe that can't happen in, you know, three minutes at the close of a sermon. It's probably going to take a little bit more time than that. But here's what I would say to you. I challenge you not to leave this moment and then forget about it. And not really seriously consider your ways. Some of us have already designed our whole agenda for the year, and we've already got our priorities, and we've already got that, and God's saying, hey, I want you to throw that out today. I want you to start over. But Lord, it's not the first of the year. How do I do that? You know, you can do it. He wants you to do that today. You may end up with the same same list. You may end up with the same priorities. You may end up that way. But if you don't, take a moment and consider your ways, then perhaps you're going to you're going to end, you know, in another year, another 10 years from now wondering why in the world is my, not, my life not the way it's supposed to be? Why don't I experience the power of God in my life? Why am I not seeing the prosperity of God? Why don't I see the fruit that the Bible talks about? How come I'm not being built up in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? How come I don't have that in my life today? Consider your ways. Ask the Lord. He's speaking directly to every one of us here, man. He is speaking so clearly. And so the question is, will we we heed his voice this morning? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for loving us the way that you do. God, how incredible it is that you would, time after time after time after time, tell us the exact same things that will be the most beneficial for us in our life. Put me first. Just put me first. If you put me first, your life will be the best in you, you. You do this over and over and over again to us, Lord. You continually pursue us into the darkest places of this world, and you draw us back out, and you help us to see that you have a way better life for us. And you are relentless in that. And so this morning, we just first and foremost want to thank you for pursuing us, Lord, for being that good shepherd that loves every single one of his sheep. And maybe we're here this morning when we're off track. And Lord, what you're saying to us is that you love us, that you haven't left us, you haven't forsaken us, but you, you're giving us a nudge this morning. And you're saying, today's the day I want you to come back. Today's the day that I want to draw you back into right relationship with me. And yet there's others here today, Lord, that have never really been in a real relationship with you. Maybe they're listening online or listening to this later. But you're saying right now, today is not just the day of reconciliation for better relationship, a better version of who I created you to be. But today is the day that I transform you and make you new, to make you right, to forgive your sins That's why Jesus came on the cross. That's why he died for us. That's why his blood was shed for us. So that we could be transformed and be changed and become new. And so, Lord, we pray, if there's anyone here this morning that is not in right relationship with you, that you call them right now to just reach out to you in their own heart, in sincerity, Lord saying, I'm, I'm, I'm turning my back from everything that I've been doing. I'm turning to you today. I've considered my ways even in these last moments of this time together, and I realize I need you, God. Will you forgive me for my sin, Lord? Will you cleanse me of all my unrighteousness, things that I've done that aren't pleasing to you? I believe the blood of Christ was shed for me, and that he rose again from the dead for me. And today, that is the one thing that I'm putting all my trust in. Jesus and his crucifixion and resurrection. Will you come inside of me? Will you transform and change me? Will you bring me into right relationship, Lord? That is my prayer. And for those, Lord, that are want to recommit, Lord, that they would just, again, just a heart of repentance, turning everything over to you, God. I'm putting you in the first slot. I'm returning to my first love. Will you forgive me, Lord, for thinking that the world has something to offer better than you? (laughs) Lord, forgive me. Fill me with your spirit and power even now. Lord, in all the decisions that I've made, that you help me to turn away from them now and turn to you. And will you just bring complete and total restoration and relationship this morning. I thank you, Lord. And for the rest of us, Lord, maybe doing well and, and all, Lord, I pray just for, Lord, we can always change. There's there's always something. None of us have arrived spiritually. So will you help us, even in our, you know, obedience to you and all, Lord, just to take a moment and, and Lord, if there's anything, pray that prayer of David. Father, Uh, Just examine my heart, Lord. See if there'd be any wicked way in me, Lord. And if there is, reveal it and help me to deal with it. So I just lift these things up to you today, Lord. We thank you. We want to give you all honor and glory and praise in, in and through our lives. And so make us who you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.